Good morning, I'm Nancy, and I'm gonna be reading the scripture this morning, John 13, one through 15. It was just before the Passover festival, Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that was why he said, not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them, you call me teacher, and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. All right. Thank you, Nancy, for reading scripture. Um, it's great to be here with you all. David has been, uh, Pastor David has been a longtime friend and mentor. And when he announced that he'd be starting a new church, I was thrilled. And I've been praying for storefront since. So it's almost surreal that I get to open up God's word with you this morning. Now, before we ask our questions to the Bible and to ourselves, I want to encourage you wherever you are in your spiritual path. We live in a moment in time when Christianity is looked at with skepticism, perhaps something to be written off, irrelevant, perhaps outdated, or even worse, part of the problem in our society. Whether it's conversations around race, the more obligation around vaccination, uh, wisdom surrounding the Delta variant, these are trying times. And even further, these are hard times to explore faith. And our hope our text today will be an encouragement to you. To help us understand our text, we'll be asking three questions. What was Jesus doing? Why did he do it that way? And how do we follow him? So what was Jesus doing? Why did he do it that way? And how do we follow him? I saw a video recently of someone who decided to walk barefoot for the day around New York City, subway and all. And at the end of the video, their feet looked like a dark hole sucking away all the light and happiness in the 10-foot radius. And as a clean enthusiast, I couldn't help but be revolted. But as a New Yorker, I wasn't surprised. It's what you would expect if you did such tomfoolery. Frankly, I thought it would be a lot worse. And in the time our text was written, 
the same sentiment was there. In ancient times, roads were not the cleanest. They would be filled with animal feces from camels and horses. Sometimes you would see animal carcasses or even dead bodies because the roads were not safe. The most people wore on their feet were sandals held together maybe by a strip of leather. So as a result, travelers would accrue whatever was on the road to their feet. And that is why foot washing was known to be a task reserved only for the lowliest of servants. It was incredibly demeaning. It was a task you wanted to do quickly and then fade into the shadows. And when Jesus began to wash his disciples' feet, it was astounding. It surprised everyone in the room. Jaws were dropping left and right. Serving platters were dropping to the floor. Plates were breaking. This was monumentally and profoundly different. And so much so that we are forced to ask the question, what was Jesus doing? And it's clear from the first verses that this foot washing wasn't just the washing of feet. Jesus wasn't doing this for fun. This, this meant something. There's a why behind the what. And verses one to three are so important in understanding our text. But verse one is central. Now, before the Passover festival, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart, he loved them to the end. Before they had the Passover, which symbolized a lamb sacrifice for the people. When Jesus knew he was to depart, be crucified as the sacrificial offering. And knowing all that, he loved them to the end. In other words, as Jesus became more acutely conscious of his imminent death and departure, his love goes out as never before. Love them to the end can be interpreted as love to the last breath and love in its highest intensity. And step one in accomplishing this was foot washing. You see the, the feet represented the place where you didn't want anyone to touch. It's the place where you don't want anyone to see. And in spiritual, spiritual terms, it's the place in our hearts that is hidden away, where our shame dwells, where our guilt grows. It's where trauma is hidden, where the gates have been closed shut so that no one can enter. So what was Jesus doing? He was washing more than dirty feet. He was addressing the heart. But now we have to ask, why did he do it that way? And if you look at verses uh, 6 through 11, there's a brief dialogue between Jesus and Peter. You, you know Peter, the disciple of disciples, the three-time denier, the get-behind-me-Satan guy, the disciple who took it upon himself to have a concealed carry in the garden. The guy rebuked so many times in the Bible. And it's this same Peter who, in so many words, was asking the same question we're asking. 
Why did Jesus do what he did in this way? And in these verses, Peter was pronouncing and enunciating the condition of the human heart. Now, what do I mean by that? Now, we do two things. We underestimate and we overestimate. We underestimate our need to be washed by Jesus. And we overestimate our ability to wash ourselves. One of the many things that quarantine has taught me was how dirty I could get before I took a shower. And to put it another way, quarantine taught me how easy it was for me to justify putting off a shower. How easy it was to cover up for myself, much to the distress of my wife. I'm too good at rationalizing. I'm too good at covering up and excusing myself from reality. It's the same way with our hearts. And if you're anything like me, perhaps you too underestimate your need to be washed by Jesus. I downplay, I rationalize away all my failures. Well, that person did this to me. So my response was justified. I excuse myself from any kind of fault or liability. I'm blameless in this, right? It's okay to shade the numbers a little bit. It's not harming anyone. What's a little white lie? Sure, it might not be ethical, but who's gonna find out? It'll make me look good. Maybe it'll save some jobs. See, there's some good in this. We rationalize and excuse ourselves very easily. I don't need Jesus to do this for me. It's not that bad. Maybe I shouldn't have said that to that person, but at least I'm not like this person. I'm fine not taking a shower for three or four days or weeks. Like in verse six, we say, Lord, do you wash my feet? We underestimate our need to be washed by Jesus. We also overestimate our ability to wash ourselves. One of the hardest near impossible puzzles in the world is called the Excalibur puzzle. It's a box uh, with a buried sword on top and it's buried in a matrix of interlocking blocks that have various sizes and grooves. And in order to solve the puzzle and remove Excalibur, you have to feel with your hands how each block is shaped without being able to see what's inside. It's like a Rubik's cube encased in a game of Jenga, blindfolded while being colorblind. And to this day, I cannot find a more compelling illustration of the human heart. Our hearts are incredibly complex, affected by our past, unsettled in our present, anxious about the future. We can't see the matrix of beams that are interlocking. If we pull one block away, everything goes into shock. We might twist it worse than before. And yet, the human heart is overconfident. It believes it can both assess the problems and fix them with the tools we have. Metaphorically, we build sensors, supply our own wires, and give it just enough power to detect only the faulty bits we are already aware of. 
And I know I've tried to solve a puzzle of my own heart with retail therapy, by hitting my goals, by getting that degree. And I'm a millennial, so by getting a certain amount of likes, by thinking only positive thoughts. And those things may be good, but they are not enough. They can't understand the complexities of the human heart. Only a person can do that. And we underestimate our need to be washed by Jesus. But also equally as important, we overestimate our ability to wash ourselves. Lord, do you wash my feet? You shall never wash my feet. And that is why Jesus did what he did in this way. Jesus had to show them that our need was greater than we think, and that we were utterly incapable to solve the puzzle of our hearts. And the astounding part is that he willfully chose to wash their feet. He did not act as a servant who must do his work and then disappear. He made sure every eye was on him. And one of the most beautiful parts in verse four, and you might have missed it, in verse four, it says, at least in my translation, it says, he takes off his outer garment, puts a towel around his waist, suggesting that when he washed his disciples' feet, whatever was on their feet would have splashed back onto himself. It's almost as if he was trying to convey to them and to us, I will wear your shame. You don't need to hide it. Your shame will not decrease my glory. I can take it. Let me serve. Love to the last breath and love in its highest intensity. And what is astounding about our passage is that this is only the first step in Jesus loving them to the end. Oh, you think foot washing is demeaning and shameful. Just you wait. I'm about to go to the cross. There I will face humiliation par excellence. I will be hung on the cross. I will not only take on your shame, but the shame of every follower of mine. If shame means that you're unacceptable, I will freely take your shame. I will be seen as unacceptable in my father's eyes. And I will pay that debt and I will take God's wrath and die. Just as I will love you to my last breath in the highest intensity, I will take on your shame, your trauma, your hurt, your frustrations, your depression, your bitterness to my last breath in the highest intensity. See, there is no God like this who over and over again reveals his absolute splendor in the humblest of ways. That's the answer to the puzzle. That's who we need. Someone who is altogether God, almighty, powerful, who can cover our shame and forgive our guilt. And yet someone who is altogether man, who has a heart that could be broken, who has hands to wash feet, who has arms to embrace us in times of sadness. If there is a love like that, wouldn't you want to be near it? If there is a God humble enough to sit with us so we can ugly cry into his tunic or robe or whatever he's wearing, 
wouldn't you want to follow him? Now, what was Jesus doing in our passage? Jesus was doing more than cleaning feet. Why did he do it this way? Jesus was showing them what love to the end looks like as he journeys to the cross. And lastly, we ask the question, how do we follow him? A more pointed question would be, how does this passage change the way I live my life? Now, if the feet represents the place where you don't want anyone to see, where your shame dwells, where you've barred the gates, our passage is asking you, has Jesus washed your feet? Has he touched upon your shame? Has he walked with you through the memories and the nightmares? Has he redeemed your trauma? Has he cried your tears with you? It's a hard question to ask ourselves, whether we call ourselves Christian or not. Has Jesus washed your feet? For those who are exploring Christianity and not yet comfortable saying you follow him, I would encourage you to let him serve you. Walk with him in scripture. Explore what he's all about. He is worthy to handle your pain, your trauma, your wounds and scars. He'll treat them with gentleness and grace. Allow him to show you his own scars. And as much as our passage is calling out to those who are exploring Christianity, it is also acutely pointed to those of us who would call ourselves followers of Christ. One of my favorite animals in the world is the chameleon. And I've always been intrigued at how it camouflages to its surroundings. So I looked it up. I had originally thought that the chameleon would change the color of its skin to match the background, but that's not the case. What really happens is that the chameleon is capable of absorbing light into its skin, changing the color of that light and reflecting only the color that will help it blend in, right? So it's a master of reflecting only the colors that will help it blend in. If you call yourself a Christian, you have to wrestle with this. It is far too easy to call yourself a Christian, to be in the ecosystem of the church, to be in community groups, and yet, Refrain from letting Christ into your heart. In other words, we can call ourselves a Christian, and yet the light of the gospel has only hit skin deep. We can reflect Christian thoughts, verses of the Bible, be genuinely nice and compassionate and loving, all while holding the deepest recesses of our heart away from the light of the gospel. And as we become more and more accustomed to a Christian environment, it's easier to blend in, to float by undetected. It can be very subtle. Perhaps you've slowly fallen into this mindset where you diversify the percentages of your heart, slowly increasing it every year to follow Jesus, playing it safe, but always maintaining 
majority ownership and veto rights. And Jesus will, Jesus will, Jesus will have none of that. Just like our shame and dirtiness, he wants it all. He does not, if he does not wash us, we have no share with him. Nothing short of all of our lives, all four valves of our hearts, that's what his glory deserves. But he doesn't give us an ultimatum. He doesn't condemn us or indict us. He kneels. He wraps a towel around his waist and he touches our feet. We can avoid it. We can rationalize it away. We can excuse ourselves from it. But our text confronts us to ask, has Jesus washed my feet? Have I let him in fully? Is he the Lord of my life? And as we close our talk, I want to present before you one thought and two application points. And that is the patience of Christ in our text. It's painted all over. He knew his hour was coming. He knew that what would happen. He knew that one of his disciples would, would betray him, that all of his disciples would abandon him. And yet look at his patience. He had a dialogue with Peter. He took the time to wash their feet. He taught them how to love one another. And if he can be that patient with Peter, if he can be that patient with his disciples, then he can be patient with you. So how do we follow Jesus? By trusting him to enter in, to heal us, and to direct our steps. And here are two quick applications before we pray. First, be more patient with others than ever before. It's been an incredibly difficult year and a half. It's been frustrating, demoralizing, anxious, so, so anxiety provoking, depressing. For a good chunk of the year, you might have been inside. Perhaps you felt desperation creep in when you think about money and how to pay the bills. And being patient with others after the year we've had could just be the greatest expression of love you can give to one another. Give you an example. Be patient with parents. <laughs> Fear they've been hit the worst during this pandemic. Pray for them. Ask what you can do to lighten the load. Comedian Jim Gaffigan was once asked what having a third child was like. And he responded, Imagine drowning in a lake and then someone hands you a baby. In quarantine, remote learning, feeding their vortex stomachs, sibling fights, you know, be patient with parents. <laughs> and that's just one example. Right? Be more patient with others than ever before. Second, be more patient with yourself than ever before. It's been an incredibly difficult year and a half. We've had tragedy and anxiety all around us regarding the virus, a new strand with the surfacing of our racial moments, with anti-maskers, anti-vaxxers, the death in the family, so much more. Being patient with yourself can mean processing these things with Jesus for however long it takes and not feeling guilty about how long it takes. It can look like releasing yourself from the guilt you feel because 
you finally rested after a hard year. It can mean admitting that we're not okay, that we've been putting off our tears, that we haven't fully processed all that's going on around us and in us. It can mean sharing our burdens with others, but getting ready also to receive a hard word from those whom we know by opening up, sharing our hearts with others. So be patient with yourself. Remind ourselves that Jesus sees our tears. He weeps with us. He mourns with us. He has a human heart. So be patient with others and be patient with yourself. Let's pray. Father, it is so incredibly hard to be patient in the midst of suffering, in the midst of turmoil. So Lord, we, we need your grace. We can't do this without you. And as we uh, ask ourselves, you know, ha has Jesus washed our feet? Help us to answer honestly. Help us to answer boldly. Help us to um, be asked by others uh, this question. And as we seek to know who you are and explore uh, the depths of your grace and see how far you're willing to go to take on our shame. Lord, I hope, my hope is that people will be freed instead of being, uh, instead of uh, bashing on themselves. So Lord, be with us and uh, guide us during this week. In Jesus' name we pray.